0: Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Wednesday, September 6th, 2023,
1: where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with Look at Today's Top Stories. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's impeachment trial begins. The ASEAN Summit kicks off. North Korea's Kim schedules a meeting
0: with Putin on weapons. A Russian general is seen publicly for the first time since the Wagner mutiny. China is predicted to dominate the tech sector. Hong Kong's top court rules in favor of same-sex partnerships. Moroccans protest the killings of two tourists in Algeria. Hollywood strikes are said to have cost the
1: California economy $5 billion. A study estimates that online pharmacies could save Americans millions. And the U.N. warns of an unprecedented invasive species threat. In our top story, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's impeachment trial begins. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, Fox News, CNN, NBC5 Dallas, and NBC. The impeachment trial of Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton began Tuesday as Republicans in the state Senate must decide whether or not to oust the thrice-elected politician accused of corruption or stand behind the prominent ally of former President Donald Trump. Paxton, a longtime conservative hero in the state, was impeached by an overwhelming majority of the GOP-led Texas House of Representatives over claims that he used his power to help a donor, Austin real estate developer Nate Paul, who allegedly granted Paxton favors in return. Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, a Paxton ally, will preside over the trial, which started with the Senate clerk reading each of the House's 20 articles of impeachment. The two sides made their opening statements with the House going first, followed by Paxton's side. Paxton pleaded not guilty to all 16 corruption articles, with the remaining four, to which he has already pleaded not guilty, pertaining to securities fraud charges from 2015. Further, Paxton will not be forced to testify before the Senate, but the Senate rejected two motions to dismiss the impeachment proceedings. In order to convict Paxton, 21 of Texas's 30 eligible senators not including Paxton's wife, who serves in the chamber, are required to vote against him, which would make him the third Texas official to ever be removed from office. Despite maintaining his innocence, Paxton was suspended following his May impeachment, with Angela Colmenero currently serving as acting attorney general. On this show, we like to separate the spin from the facts. Eric just laid out the facts,
0: and our first narrative spin is an establishment critical narrative from American Greatness. It's a sad yet common reflection of our times that the political establishment can pursue sham impeachment trials to attack political opponents. We've seen this political lawfare ramp up with the endless attacks against Trump, and we are seeing it now against Ken Paxton. Unfortunately, this issue isn't exclusive to one political party and is a signature part of Washington's so-called democracy.
1: We counter that with a pro-establishment narrative coming from MSNBC. Paxton is a corrupt politician who abused his power for years. While Paxton may be popular among Texas voters who remain entranced by Donald Trump, no one is above the law, especially a state attorney general who has sworn to uphold and enforce it. Senators cannot sit by and allow a crooked attorney general to remain in power. This is about maintaining the integrity of the Texas government, not partisan politics. The
0: ASEAN Summit kicks off amid regional strife. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Nikkei Asia, Al Jazeera, Reuters, Time Magazine, France 24, and the Associated Press. Southeast Asian leaders have gathered in Indonesia's capital, Jakarta, for their final summit this year to discuss a litany of divisive issues including Myanmar's civil conflict, violent disputes in the South China Sea, and the tense U.S.-China rivalry. The 10-member Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN, or ASEAN meeting, which started on Tuesday under tight security, will be followed by wide-ranging talks with Asian and Western counterparts on Wednesday and Thursday. President Joe Biden, as well as China's Xi Jinping, and Russia's Vladimir Putin will be absent. Vice President Kamala Harris, Premier Li Chang, and Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov represent the three powers, respectively. Myanmar, which has been mired in civil strife after a military junta took over in 2021, will be a key issue. On Monday, Malaysia called for strong measures against Myanmar's ruling generals who allegedly blocked ASEAN's five-point consensus peace plan. While Myanmar's generals have been suspended from top meetings, the country has been a divisive topic in the organization, as Thailand's outgoing military-led government has embraced the regime with support from Beijing. Additionally, South China Sea disputes between ASEAN countries and China are among the top agenda items of the summit, despite the bloc's deepening ties with Beijing, especially as a new Chinese territorial map has been revealed recently, including the controversial nine-dash line claim over most of the disputed
1: waters. Scott, thank you for laying out the facts. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from South China Morning Post. Joe Biden's absence from the ASEAN summit came down to priorities and the U.S. president decided that attending the G20 meeting in India was more important than addressing the ASEAN leaders. Moreover, the U.S. is still sending Vice President Harris to the meetings, which is hardly a snub of the bloc. Ultimately, it's hard to be in two places at once, and Biden had to choose which foreign summit to attend. And the second of four
0: narratives is Narrative B from the Washington Post. Skipping the ASEAN gathering in Jakarta is a short-sighted mistake that contradicts the Biden administration's alleged willingness to build a stronger relationship with Asia as a whole to counter China. It's certain that some countries are more important to the U.S. than others, but snubbing Indonesia, a vibrant democracy and a major
1: regional power, suggests that the U.S. wants simply a marriage of convenience. And the spins just keep on coming with the pro-China narrative from Global Times. Biden's absence from the ASEAN summit is far more calculated and nefarious than it seems on the surface. His administration is solely concerned about the region when it comes to its geopolitical tensions with China, as it looks to turn ASEAN countries against Asia's largest economy. The fact is, ASEAN countries haven't bent their knee to the U.S., so Biden is sending a message by skipping their summit. And finally, the nerd narrative from Metaculus. They say there's
0: a 50% chance that the regional comprehensive economic partnership We'll have at least 12 parties on December 31st, 2030. If I were Biden, I would take a look and see who booked this weekend first. Uh, You know, like if you have two friends that both, you know, booked their wedding on the same weekend, I I would go to the one who books it first. It's just not fair to the the other one.
1: According to a special report, Kim Jong-un plans to meet Putin for weapons talks. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CBS, The Guardian, Associated Press and Daily Sabah. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is expected to travel to Russia this month in order to meet with President Vladimir Putin and discuss potential weapons sales, according to a U.S. official who briefed reporters on Monday. Based on military intelligence cited by the official, whose comments were first reported by the New York Times, the meeting is likely to take place in the eastern Russian port city of Vladivostok, given its proximity to North Korea, though exact details remain unconfirmed. According to the report, Putin is aiming to secure artillery shells and anti-tank missiles from North Korea. Kim is reportedly seeking technology for satellites and nuclear-powered submarines from Moscow. The news comes after Russia's defense minister Sergei Shoigu traveled to Pyongyang and met with Kim in late July. North Korean state media reported that Kim took Shoigu to an arms exhibition and showcased the country's latest weapons, including what appeared to be intercontinental ballistic missiles. North Korean state media added that Kim and Shoigu reached a consensus on unspecified, quote, matters of mutual concern in the field of national defense and security and on the regional and international security environment. On Monday, Shoigu announced that Russia was also in talks with North Korea about hosting joint military exercises. Thanks,
0: Eric. The Associated Press brings us the anti Russian narrative. As Russia increasingly turns to countries like North Korea and Iran, These developments underscore just how isolated Putin has become. Russia is desperate for weapons amid issues with its floundering arms industry and
1: related supply chain problems. We follow that up with a pro russian narrative coming from Daily Sabah. Russia is a neighbor of North Korea, and so to seek harmonious relationships and benefits through mutual interests, rather than discord and a policy of isolationism, is both inevitable and productive for both nations. And Metaculus brings us
0: another statistics-based nerd narrative. This one says there's a 31% chance that North Korea will possess enough fissile material to make at least 100 nuclear warheads before 2024.
1: I would have loved to have been a mouse in the corner in that uh, during that meeting.
0: There's always cameras on these on these meetings. I would say if I was going to have a, a conversation with a leader, I'd want to do it behind closed doors. Let's get let's get to it. A Russian general is seen in public for the first time since the Wagner mutiny. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC News, BBC News, Medusa, CNN and The Guardian. A photo posted online appeared to show a Russian general who had not been publicly seen since the Wagner mercenary group launched a short-lived rebellion in June. Sergei Surovkin is believed to have been close to the head of the Wagner group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, who died in a plane crash on the outskirts of Moscow last month. Reports suggested Serovkin had foreknowledge of the mutiny attempt but failed to notify superiors up the chain of command. He was last seen publicly in a video he released hours into the mutiny. In it, he urged Prigozhin and his fighters to give up their plans. Since then, his fate remained a mystery and rumors swirled that he was arrested, though this was never officially confirmed. Late last month, Russian media reported that he was fired from his role as the head of the country's aerospace forces. On Monday, Senia Sobchak, a Russian journalist, posted a picture of what appeared to be Sorovkin, accompanied by a woman who resembles his wife, Anna. Alongside it, Sobchak wrote, General Sergei Sorovkin is out, alive, healthy, at home, with his family in Moscow. Photo taken today. Another Russian journalist, Alexei Venetiktov, on Monday, independently made a similar report. Meanwhile, the New York Times, citing U.S. intelligence officials and a source close to Russia's defense ministry, said that Serovkin was released from custody a few days after Prigozhin's death on August 24th, though it was unclear under what conditions. The Russian source said that the general was technically still an active officer in the country's armed forces, though he has no
1: further career prospects. Scott, thanks for those facts. Our first spin is a pro-establishment narrative coming from New York Times. According to U.S. officials, Sorovkin knew in advance about Prigozhin's rebellion, but failed to act or inform his higher-ups. This is the reason for his short-term imprisonment and his disappearance from public view. And TASS brings us the pro russian narrative. Claims that Sorovkin had prior knowledge to the mutiny
0: are simply gossip and speculation, aimed at creating discord within the Russian military. His removal from his post was for unrelated reasons that remain undisclosed.
1: And we have a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. And they say there's a 95% chance that Vladimir Putin will be president of Russia on January 1st, 2024. According to the Web Summit founder, the People's Republic of China could dominate the tech sector. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Thager World, and the Business Standard. Patty Cosgrave, the founder of the Web Summit, said the West has lost its lead on tech and innovation. After being in the top position for half a century, he predicts that China will dominate the world of technology in the coming decade. Cosgrave said China will emerge as a global technology giant because of the mutually reinforcing role of the public and private sectors. The Irish co-founder of the Global Tech event was critical of the US and European countries, arguing that they, quote, find it difficult when companies from elsewhere in the world outcompete them. He also added that the summit began by primarily attracting audiences from Europe and North America, but in the past five years has seen a significant shift with the rise of participation from the Arab world. The Middle East is the region that will bring most of the growth in the technology sector, according to Cosgrave. The Tech Summit will showcase emerging companies at its next event in Qatar from February 25th through the 29th next year.
0: Thanks for those facts, Eric. We have a pro-China narrative from the Harvard Business Review. China's rapid rise to technological and economic stardom is due to the West's underestimation of its culture and political system. When Washington first welcomed Beijing into the World Trade Organization 20 years ago, it thought China would have to adopt the same political system to achieve the same economic growth. That assumption has proven to be a grave mistake. Even many of the Chinese people believe their government is the reason for their prosperity, which shows the
1: West needs to redesign its China strategy. The anti-China narrative comes from Wall Street Journal. Between the U.S.'s recent boost in domestic production and its anti-corruption probes into Chinese companies, the PRC's brief rise toward matching the West technologically has come to an end. Furthermore, the Chinese education system does not foster creativity, a key component of Western values that are necessary to become a world leader. Until Beijing can rid its economy of rampant corruption and underwhelming innovation, it will never surpass the U.S.
0: And there's a nerd narrative from Attaculus saying there's an 82% chance there will be a frontier AI lab in China before the year 2026. A Hong Kong court rules in favor of same-sex partnerships. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, NBC, Reuters, The Associated Press, and France 24. On Tuesday, Hong Kong's top court ruled that the city's government must provide new regulations to legally recognize the rights of same-sex couples. The ruling, made by Hong Kong's Court of Final Appeal, came after a five-year-long legal challenge by LGBTQ rights activist Jimmy Sham, and was the first time that the court directly addressed the issue of same-sex marriage in Hong Kong. Sham first asked for a judicial review in 2018 after the lower courts dismissed his challenges, which argued that Hong Kong's laws ignoring foreign same-sex marriage violate the constitutional right to equality. Tuesday's ruling gave the city's government a two-year timeline to establish a system to recognize same-sex partnerships outside the institution of marriage. The court unanimously dismissed Sham's final appeal on other grounds related to same-sex marriage, such as the recognition of overseas same-sex unions. Currently, Hong Kong recognizes same-sex marriage for purposes such as taxation, civil service benefits, and dependent visas.
1: Thank you, Scott, for laying out those facts. We begin our round of spins with the left narrative. It's coming from NBC. This is an exciting victory for LGBTQ plus activists in Hong Kong and abroad. Same-sex couples deserve the same dignity and respect as heterosexual couples and establishing a legal framework of recognition will positively impact the LGBTQ plus community in Hong Kong and improve the territory's reputation.
0: Fox News brings the right narrative spin. While everyone, regardless of sexual orientation, should be protected from discrimination, this ruling paves the way to a direct contradiction to Hong Kong's constitutional stance on traditional family and marriage,
1: the bedrock of its society. And The Guardian gives us Narrative C. While legal recognition of same-sex couples is better than nothing, Hong Kong still has a long way to go before equality. The court unanimously dismissed challenges requesting the recognition of foreign same-sex marriages or the approval of same-sex marriage. This is only a partial victory. Moroccans protest over tourists killed in Algerian waters. Here are the facts as agreed upon by African News, Associated Press, Al Jazeera, BBC News, Atalayar, and Fox News. On Monday, dozens of Moroccans rallied outside the parliament in Rabat to urge the government to challenge the Algerian state after its coast guard killed two tourists who allegedly crossed the maritime border between the two Mediterranean countries. Organizations present at the protest, including the Moroccan Association for Citizenship and Human Rights, are reportedly mulling over filing a lawsuit in international courts against the leaders of the Algerian army. Separately, Morocco's National Council for Human Rights strongly condemned the Algerian Coast Guard for using live ammunition against unarmed civilians, deeming the incident a serious violation of human rights laws and international standards. This comes as Algeria's defense ministry officially stated Sunday that a group of four holiday-goers was shot at on Tuesday after refusing to comply with several stop orders. The ministry cited intense activity by drug smuggling and organized crime at its borders as the reason for firing warning shots. Meanwhile, the French prosecutor's office has opened a probe into the incident that killed the two French-Moroccan tourists, Bilal Kisi and Abdullail Michouar, after lawyers for their families filed a complaint in Paris for intentional murder charges on Sunday. Relations between Algeria and Morocco have been strained since both gained independence from colonial France, with their shared borders closed since 1994 and diplomatic ties severed in 2021. Thanks for that
0: rundown, Eric. Morocco World News brings us Narrative A. It's not only outrageous, but criminal that Algerian Coast Guard officers have shot tourists who are trying to return to Morocco's Saïda Resort after their jet skis mistakenly drifted to Algerian waters due to bad weather. International law recognizes the fundamental right of people in distress to receive help and bans the use of live-fire ammunition against
1: unarmed civilians. Narrative B comes from Algeria Press Service. After previously intercepting three jet skis that conducted smuggling operations across Algerian territorial waters in a border region that has experienced increased activity of drug trafficking gangs and organized crime, Algeria's Coast Guard issued an audible warning to the group several times, but the passengers refused to comply and fled with dangerous maneuvers. While these deaths are undoubtedly tragic, authorities were left with no options. And
0: a nerd narrative from Metaculous, they say there's a 50% chance that Morocco will recognize Western Sahara by December of 2119. And a report from the Hollywood Strikes, they've cost the California economy $5 billion. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Vox, Financial Times, the Boston Herald, CNBC, Business Insider, and the Associated Press. After four months, the joint WGA and sag after strike has reportedly cost the California economy an estimated $5 billion, exceeding initial estimates made by experts. Kevin Cloden, chief global strategist at the Milken Institute, which conducted the research, says the industries taking the hardest hit include the support services of Hollywood from around the globe, including restaurants, caterers, construction and transportation services, dry cleaners and rental companies. In May and July, around 11,500 writers represented by the WGA and 160,000 actors represented by SAG-AFTRA went on strike as negotiations with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, the representation for Hollywood studios and production companies, stalled. As a result, all TV and movie production has stopped with no clear date to resume. The dispute is centered around the lack of income received from streaming services and the use of artificial intelligence in the industry. In early August, experts analyzed data from the previous WGA strike, which occurred in 2007, and estimated that after 100 days, the damage to the economy would amount to $3 billion. In addition to $2.1 billion in monetary losses, the last strike also led to 37,700 jobs lost. Amid the strike, companies like Warner Brothers Discovery have adjusted their project earnings for 2023. Initially, the company projected earnings before deductions to amount to between $11 billion and $11.5 billion, but has since downgraded this projection by roughly $1 billion. Meanwhile, Fiona Ma, California treasurer, has attempted to get negotiations back on track by writing letters to the major companies represented by the AMPTP to inform them of how the strike is damaging the economy and impacting workers' lives.
1: Scott, thanks for that rundown. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from the Los Angeles Times. The time has come for studios and streaming companies to meet workers' needs in terms of compensation and address their concerns about A.I., These companies are attempting to severely cut writers' ability to live while it's the union members who create the content and then promote it. This strike is having a terrible impact beyond the writers' and actors' lives, and the studios should do what they can to end it. And narrative B comes from Breitbart. While there's no one worth
0: backing in this battle between the elites on both sides, the actors and writers are acting particularly privileged in this disagreement. Rather than holding the entertainment industry hostage over AI, they should use the technology to supplement and improve their work. It's time to get back to work before even more local economies are decimated.
1: According to a recent study, online pharmacies could save patients millions. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC and Medical Express. According to a study published Monday in the journal Annals of Internal Medicine, Americans could potentially save millions each year by buying prescription drugs through online pharmacy discount programs such as GoodRx and Amazon Pharmacy rather than traditional insurance plans and retail pharmacy chains. Comparing out-of-pocket payments from the 2020 Medical Expenditure Panel Survey to the 2023 counterfactual discount card pricing of Amazon Prime and GoodRx Gold for 20 generic medications, it found that Amazon and GoodRx were about 20% and 43% cheaper, respectively. The researchers from the University of Toledo in Ohio who analyzed those with private health insurance, public health insurance, and no insurance also found that at least one out of five prescriptions were cheaper through Amazon or GoodRx compared to traditional out-of-pocket payments. The amount of excess out-of-pocket payment for drugs in the deductible phase for both companies was also 40% and 79% respectively. Total annual cost savings for consumers amounted to $969 million for Amazon and $1.83 billion for GoodRx. The findings were similar to those of another study published in the same journal in 2022, which found that the public health care program Medicare could have saved billions by using fellow online pharmacy competitor Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company. The study's authors, however, warn that discount companies' reliance on pharmacy benefit managers for claims adjudication and access to pharmacy networks hinder long-term solutions. Therefore, they call for value-based insurance designs for a lasting and comprehensive strategy.
0: Thanks, Eric. We have a pro-establishment narrative from Forbes. Between the sky-high prices of pharmaceuticals in America and the growing demand for online services in the wake of the COVID pandemic, Americans both want and need cheap and efficient online pharmacies like the services offered by Amazon. Beyond the cost-effectiveness of online deliveries, these transparent services will also force drug manufacturers to lower prices if they wish to remain competitive. The U.S. is financially drowning over what should be an easily affordable product, but thankfully,
1: e-commerce has a proven solution. The Washington Post has an establishment-critical narrative for this story. While large pharmaceutical corporations functioning as, quote, platforms seem to be the future of the industry, small, independently-owned pharmacies are actually more efficient and popular than the big chains. While online corporations have advantages over brick-and-mortar franchises like CVS and Walgreens, vital mom-and-pop drug stores are being left out of the conversation. Government policies are geared towards supporting these Goliath companies, so we should rewrite the law to boost local pharmacies rather than national chains or e-commerce giants. Our final story, the UN
0: says a new invasive species is a threat to biodiversity and the economy. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by UPI, The New York Times, Reuters, and Al Jazeera. The UN Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, or IPBES, on Monday revealed that 37,000 alien species have been released by humans into the wild worldwide with more than 3,500 of those proving to be harmful. The report, the group's first since 2019, blames these invasive species for spreading diseases and putting food supplies and livelihoods at risk. The group of 86 researchers from 49 countries also determined that these species cost the global economy $423 billion each year and are at least partly responsible for 60% of all plant and animal extinctions. According to the report, 34% of the impact of these species was felt in the Americas while Europe and Central Asia felt 31% of the impacts. 25% occurred in Asia and the Pacific, and 7% happened in Africa. Approximately 75% of the impacts were found on land, as opposed to 10% in marine settings and 14% in freshwater. According to the report, the costs of these species invasions have quadrupled every decade since the 70s, and the world has failed to meet a target set in 2010 to reduce these invasions. Meanwhile, nearly every country in December 2022 signed an agreement to cut the number of introductions of invasive species in half.
1: Scott, thanks for the facts. The first spin is Narrative A coming from Euronews. Human activity and climate change are contributing to the increase of invasive species, and the world must take responsibility. It's imperative that countries take this threat seriously and do what they can to prevent the spread, especially in cases where species are sometimes introduced on purpose without consideration of the risks.
0: Narrative B comes from the South China Morning Post. Every country must do what it can to mitigate this problem, but large volumes of trade between Europe and North America have caused those areas to be responsible for an inordinate amount of these introductions and displacements, so they should assume much of their responsibility for slowing the spread of these species.
1: There's a narrative C for this story coming from Scientific American. While the findings of this report must be taken seriously, they must also be taken cautiously. Quote, the word invasive is often used as a blanket term to refer to bad species, while native is ascribed to the good ones. This creates a rigid dichotomy that doesn't consider how each invader individually impacts the ecosystem, with some undoubtedly wreaking habit, but others having little or sometimes even positive impacts. Yeah, Eric, you would think... Of these thousands of invasive species that are
0: happening, once in a while, there would be a species introduced somewhere that like perfectly balances wherever that ecosystem is. It's just like the the key. I I don't think we hear much about that. I just continue to buy the ant killer and that keeps me happy. Yeah, right. You don't want (sighs) any species invading
1: your habitat. Absolutely not. No. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Wednesday, September 6th, 2023.
0: Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ.
1: If you'd like more information about the Verity Podcast, visit our website, verity.news. You can also download the Verity Podcast app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time for the Verity podcast.